With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome to the Football Fanalytics Podcast in association with 23. This is the show that explores the ever-growing world of football analytics and takes on the many tactical and topical discussions within the game. It's episode 73 and we're asking if kickoff times influence your entertainment. My name is Mark Carey and joining me as ever is Ryan Bailey. Ryan, how are you? And I ask this not in a weird way, how are your legs feeling? <laughs> And you know what? You, you know why I'm asking that, Ryan? Because you've had a you've had a good old session of eleven aside recently. I want you to tell me and the listeners how you got on. Well, I will absolutely do that, <laughs> and also I appreciate the concern. I think if we started every episode with a hi, Mark. How how are the knuckles today? How are the uh, yeah. how's that elbow moving? All good? Um, Fine with me. Fine. That with could me. be a new thing that we maybe do. Just uh, show a bit of concern and a bit of care. To one well, another. also, you know what body part I'd be concerned with? My Achilles, still not recovered. That is Thanks true. for asking. And I probably haven't actually asked you recently enough <laughs> how that's going. So, yeah, um, I'll send you a card. Um, the My legs, Mark, are okay. Now, uh, if the question you're referring to is because I played uh, in a charity tournament, it was about a week ago now, actually. In fact, it was a week ago. And mm. it was 11 aside, and I worked out, which genuinely made me feel a bit... Uh, depressed it was it's about 10 years since I've actually played an 11 aside game of football and uh, I I won't beat around the bush I was miles off it and Mm. it's a it's a hard game isn't it that old that old 11 aside game of football it's it's different for me it's different muscle groups Mm. like when I played 11 aside having played five aside for quite a while or seven aside I was aching so much the following day when I had done this because I just wasn't using the same muscle yeah. groups. I feel like, you know, you've you got to hit it that bit further, you've got to sprint that bit further and stretch your legs a little bit more mm. rather than the sort of the quick nippy play in five side. Did you, was it was it that for you that was why you were aching? It was definitely that. I definitely was aching genuinely, I'm not even lying, for about four days, I think, which was quite sort of shocking. I know I'm the wrong side of 30 now, but um, <laughs> but it genuinely was quite sort of shocking to me how much it hurt um but the other thing that i hadn't really accounted for was how kind of lazy you get playing five aside i guess because you you can find in a safe space and the you know it, the longest kind of sprint or run you can do ends up being what like 20 yards if that um so all of a sudden we're playing this 11 aside game 
and uh, I'll come on to this, but the, but it was with a bunch of people who I hadn't really met. I, I knew one or two, um, and I was, I was in cent- central midfield because I thought, you know, I'll I'll rate myself here. I'll try and sort of you know get some kind of order to this. Not sure if you lot know what you're doing. And I ended up having to literally just sit in front of the defence because I couldn't mm. get back and forward enough. It it was quite, um, yeah, it was quite something. But no one else could either, though. That's the thing. I think I think it was kind of a uh, an age range of around twenty five to maybe thirty five, late thirties, and everyone was just absolutely tanked after one game. I think we played four or five games of half an hour. We got to the final. Um, it ended oh, okay. in a penalty shootout, which we lost. Um, I had possibly the worst penalty I've ever taken ever. It did go in, but it was one of those that the keeper basically saved, but it trickled through their hands and it like just sort of dribbled over the line, which I'll take. But it was um, it was really quite bad. Um, see, the honest answer is, Mark. Yeah, it, it was quite a shock to me. I thought it would be easier to adapt and play again than it was. But the space, I know it sounds so stupid, but it was in, it was it was for a charity called Project Africa, who my friend Max was. Uh, raising money for it. It was a really good day. But it was in an actual kind of... It must have been a semi-pro sort of stadium. So there's a couple of stands and um, it was a decent pitch, a really, really good pitch. But it was massive. Honestly, I, mm. I couldn't... Even just the kind of the gaps between midfield and the people up front, etc. they were miles away. And and you just, yeah. you know, it really got to me. Mm. Well, it makes you respect even semi-professional football, any sort of level where people play 11-a-side regularly. Yeah. Because... They, they know what to do with formations, with, I guess, energy conservation as well to know that they've got to play for 90 minutes. I didn't know that it was... So it's four half-an-hour games. Yeah, four. And you did you can't have been that bad then if you got to the final. Yeah, I don't know if that says more about the other people playing, but we we certainly battled. I think we won one we won two games 1-0 and then we lost 1-2-0 and then we basically drew the final and ended up in a penalty shoot. So it wasn't exactly glorious football. Got two assists on the sheet, Mark. I'll, uh, that's the only thing I'll say. Uh, for nice. the very minimal goals that we did score as a team, it was kind of a long ball job. Um, I have to ask this though, Mark: If you were tasked as a man who spends all of his time thinking about football and uh, patterns and statistics, data, etc., if you were tasked with putting eleven clowns on a pitch who had absolutely no idea how to interact with each other and run, how what's the best way of setting up and getting people to play quickly? Because we went for a four-four-two, and it was awful. Mm. Yeah, I, it's a good question because it's unlike any other <laughs> way of thinking about football where you got to factor in the fact that you've never played together mm. before, you've never met each other before, you know, let alone played together. Um, I don't know, maybe go 4-3-3 just to pack the midfield yeah, and yeah. sort of conserve energy and that 4-3-3 could come a 4-5-1 out of possession mm. if you so wish to, to do that so you can pack things together a little bit more, keep things tight. But um I'm not too sure, really. It made um, me think. I, I often find myself questioning, not questioning, because obviously I know the value of coaches and managers, etc. But I do often think sometimes we talk a lot about managerial uh, styles and tactics and different things that people do. And and I've always thought a little bit. At the end of the day, though, the players, if they're just not playing very well, if they're just not very good, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. Which which you know is true. But actually, it made me appreciate a little bit of kind of if you put some people who are familiar together and give them some patterns and give them some things to practice, etc. It probably goes a long way because at one point there was four in defence. I was sort of sat because I couldn't get forward because I was so knackered, and then there were five people just up front, just not running back. Mm. So we end up with this gulf of just like 
to basically attack and defence and then we just were under under siege basically and then we ended up nicking a goal because I lumped one long and one of the five people basically got on the end of it and scored so it was an absolute shambles mate you would have the analytic the heat map mate would have been terrible you would have had a, <laughs> you would have absolutely been beside yourself the passing network mm. I'd have liked to have seen that average positions were all over the shop but I mean yeah it helps if people are familiar with each other and has have a bit of discipline to actually stay yeah. in the positions that they're in. Um, but here's a question for you then, Ryan. If you are obviously used to playing five-a-side, maybe not used to playing 11-a-side, mm. but let's say that you are at your physical peak. We've done an episode on being at your peak. Mm. So let's say you were at your physical peak. What would your preferred um, version of football be in the sense that I'm, I'm going to throw five-a-side out there, seven-a-side yeah. out there, which we would argue maybe is a third of the wit- a third of a pitch, yep, yep, you know, playing yep. the, the width of the pitch, give or take, um, or a five-a-side cage, you know, you know, the size of a, a five-a-side pitch. What would be your preferred method of playing football on a Tuesday evening? Well, funnily enough, I haven't played seven-a-side in a very long time since the school days. And I always used to really like that. I played six-a-side. When we do the, um, the Tackle Africa tournament, that's six-a-side, isn't it? And that's quite a strange one because you yeah. end up with sort of two defenders, two midfielders and one either side and then someone up front or vice versa, one mm. in midfield. So six is quite a hard number to get right, I always think. Um, mm. Five is is good. You get a bit lazy, though, don't you? especially if you've got a cage. People with the whole mm. pinging it off the walls. And uh, I, think, I think something that I didn't really sort of realise was hard about 11 aside is the fact that it goes out of play which is such a stupid thing to say but when you get used to five aside and you've got the safety of the wall for a loose touch or you'll occasionally get someone who plays a wayward pass that is I don't know two yards to your right hand side and you just let it bounce off the wall and it comes to you yeah, I think yeah, that's something you take for granted isn't it when you play the bigger ones that you've actually got parameters I think I'd I'd probably go for seven aside Mark I'd probably enjoy a seven aside game if you gave me that choice yeah, I think that that makes, I, well. I agree with that. I absolutely would. You, you're right, actually. I did miss out six aside. It's kind of much of a merchant, but I'd say six, six or seven because five aside, my close control isn't good enough for five aside where there is yeah. the, the space is tight, isn't it? You've got to have a really good first touch, I'd say. Even though you said a, you know you can bounce things off the wall, your limbs basically stretch to across a five side pitch. To be fair, well, this is the thing. I can get into my stride mm. with my six foot four height advantage. Um, but still have enough kind of other touch to be able to yeah get out of my feet and yeah potentially ping a pass so if you know when i've got two strong legs i think seven aside would be my my preferred option or six aside you know whatever maybe we should enter a league but we probably are at that point where we might need to look into a vet league because i've realized that the the just the the, the pace of play these days mate is when you when you're out of touch mate you're out of touch we need to need to get some running under the belt and need to uh get back in there with the young'uns well without bringing the mood down I don't know if my playing days are over with the, with the old injury but no um, don't talk let's like keep that. it light we'll get, we'll let's keep it light for now um, and, and not not be too pessimistic you, mate you could but have I'm done you could to... have done a job up top with one of these five people I tell you with one leg you would have been fine you, through some, of the, some of the things that I saw up, up the top of that pitch it was pretty pretty terrible to be honest well, I'm glad you had a good day anyway Thank you. and raise money for, for charity. Project Africa, people should check it out if they haven't already. But yeah, I'm glad that your legs are okay as well. All that from <laughs> an initial, how are you doing, right? How are your legs? Yeah, yeah. Um, right, let's keep it light. Let's get into the uh, the main crux of the episode. How about that? Yes, let's do it. Okay, so as we record, it is off the back of a very entertaining 
Premier League game um, at the weekend, Liverpool and Arsenal. As a Liverpool fan, Ryan, I am somewhat frustrated. Liverpool didn't capitalise on the fact that the second half was so good. They should have probably won it 3-2 in the end, despite Arsenal starting Mm. very well. But the entertainment factor, you can't deny, was really, really good. Um, I know you caught most of this, but you you had to shoot away. It's always a bit of a... um, I I never know if it's all right to text you at the moment as well during a game. Even when I've got either legit questions or just sort of want to comment on something, with the state of Liverpool at the moment, I'm always a little bit like worried about your well-being. Um, At least you saw a little bit of the Liverpool of old towards the end of the game, Mm. second half. Yeah, I've said this before, with all the narratives in the media about Liverpool, I think with most teams, it's never as... I think we've spoken about this before on this podcast. It's never quite as bad as people think when it's bad. And I never think it's always as good as people think when it's really, really Mm. good. You think all all clubs, to a certain extent, are fallible. You know, you look at Manchester City, they added... They won the league, added the best (laughs) player or the best striker in the world to their to their squad yeah. and they're still not hitting the unbelievable heights that uh, that they maybe should be considering the quality of their squad so it's never always as good as people think when things are good and never always bad as when it's bad so I think Liverpool are still a couple of signings away from competing again but it's not the overhaul massive rebuild I think that some people are everyone seems to bang on about at the moment yeah I mean it was yeah. it, it was one of them when it, it at 2-0 it looked like Arsenal could have absolutely ran away and it looked like it could be a really painful afternoon so I'm almost a little bit glad that uh, Liverpool did find a bit of the mould cells because um, it actually then made for a really good game didn't it rather than what looked like it was going to be another it was going to be a Man United but on the flip side for Liverpool Yeah the momentum fortunately for Liverpool shifted sort of after about half an hour Xhaka's fault for giving Trent the elbow yeah, that did actually change things quite a bit. I'm glad that it sort of carried through into the second half. I mean, Liverpool had to come out because they were 2-0 down, but there was definitely a shift in momentum. Otherwise, it did look like Arsenal's quality. The way they were knocking it about was really impressive. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it had everything. It had momentum shift, it had a bit of controversy, had a penalty, it had goals, it had late drama. Um, and in the, I don't know if you're across this, Ryan, but in the Sky, uh, Sky Sports punditry, Mika Richards said after the game, it was one of the best games that he's ever seen. Such a positive um, man. Which, which was, yeah, it was quite a statement to make. But I did think it was quite interesting that, that he said it in general. Mm. And it sort of made me think, is it, is it that Super Sunday games are just more entertaining in general? Are we primed to see more entertainment? Whether it is goals, whether it is drama on a, a Sunday afternoon, Super Sundays being yeah the, the kickoff time of 4 or 4.30. We can sort of lump them together. Mm. Um, and it got me thinking, what are the numbers? What do the numbers say on the fact that Sunday afternoon kickoffs are more entertaining? Well, I mean, this is something of a philosophical question, as well as numbers, I'd say. It just in general, is the uh, the Sunday kickoff, have we come accustomed to that being the, the highest build and the best? I mean, they do tend to... I've actually always wondered this, and I don't think this is a question you can answer, but I have always wondered how they do the fixtures schedule. And how, does, do, do people have a certain amount of Sunday afternoon kickoffs that they're allowed? Do you know what I mean? Or a certain amount of Monday night football games that they've got, or Friday nights, etc. Maybe we'll come on to that, I don't know. But I do feel like the bigger teams obviously always seem to get put on a Super Sunday, don't they? There's, there's always one of the six, isn't there? I think mm. th- it's a very rare occasion. I, th- I think there was one a few weeks ago that was something like Leeds and Newcastle or something that w- that wasn't a Super Sunday billing. Um, 
but yeah, I, I would agree. I, I don't think Saturday night football is anywhere near as exciting as Sunday, Super Sunday football at all. Yeah, well, I'm thinking about mid- midweek games as well, but I think, I don't know the exact answer of how many sort of games you can have on a Super Sunday or certain kickoff times. Um, there'll be an element of rotation there, but you'll see the, the fixture list come out for the weekend of weekends, you know, game weeks, one, mm. two, three, four, etc. Um, and then the TV uh, schedules will come out such that then the, the kickoff times will shift around because of that. But yeah, it's no coincidence. It's obviously by um, by design that the better teams are going to be the ones in the Super Sunday because it's more entertaining. You're going to get more eyes on it. Um, so I don't think there's going to be too many occasions where you'll see Bournemouth and Crystal Palace play Super Sunday with the greatest of respect to Bournemouth. Yeah. And Crystal Palace. I feel like Crystal um, Palace are constantly on Monday Night Football as well. This may be a cliche yeah. that I've kind of just got in my brain, but I feel like it's always Crystal Palace on Monday Night Football, whether they be playing Fulham or Tottenham or whoever. Always Crystal Palace. Weirdly, yeah, I do associate that with, with Crystal Palace mm. as well. Um, but we've looked at Monday Night Football, we've looked at Super Sunday, we've looked at um, the, the Saturday 3pm kickoff all in um, a, a really good article by um, Duncan Alexander last year actually um, so it's ever so slightly out of date but I think the point definitely still stands um, this was when he was at Opta uh, and he was doing this article for The Analyst which I will link in the bio um, of course Duncan Alexander um, one of the the key names in football analytics now with The Athletic mm. since opposite me another good um, signing un- unfortunately for him fortunately for me um, great guy Duncan and he's written this fantastic piece um, as I say I'll link it in the bio but it does compare time slots in the Premier League um, with Saturdays Sundays and during the week and he's done a really cool um, graph basically that shows goals per game and expected goals per game um, and obviously the, the further you are along this sort of taxonomy Amazing. The, um, the more goals there are uh, and the more I guess by proxy the more entertaining it is and Sunday the super Sunday time slot which is half four on a Sunday but we're also going to lump in uh, Sunday four o'clock kickoff yeah. are the top two um, top two time slots for goals per game that's so interesting all of the other options um, in in the football scheduling uh, which I think is so interesting. So it does, you know, go with the the vibe that <laughs> these Sunday afternoon kickoffs are the most entertaining. I mean, I'm looking at this graph, and obviously the listeners can't see it, so do go check out the link, as Mark says. But oh, the Wednesday eight o'clock slot is is not getting a lot of love here, is it? So we've got, and yeah, in the the low end, we've got Wednesday eight o'clock, Tuesday seven forty five, and Monday eight o'clock, which is the Monday night football, all below average for are these all Premier League game. games. These are all Premier League games. Um, the the sort of the criteria here are that they're only showing time slots with at least forty matches played since the two thousand and sixteen. I was going to say because you don't, re- and this is how sort of well trained I've be- I've become. You don't often see many Tuesday seven forty fives. So I, my sample size uh, alarm was going off there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is a good point. I mean, the the biggest kickoff time is um, undoubtedly Saturday three o'clock. Mm. What we are all accustomed to um, but yeah there's going to be a little bit difference in the sample well played well played mm. but still I, I do think it's interesting nevertheless Very. and I do think yeah that that's interesting that during the week there doesn't tend to be all that many I don't know if it's just because maybe a little bit of a lull maybe a lull in the atmosphere as well mm. I do think this is, is interesting so you compare things to you know lunchtime kickoff on a Saturday you know Wednesday well Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday are all 
after working hours where people might be a little bit tired. They might have had a long day at work. They might have badminton. They might have exactly They might that. be Pilates, mate, on a Tuesday on a 7.45. Exactly. It might be Pilates. might be Zumba. They might not even go. <laughs> Never mind actually like turn up and then kind of have a good atmosphere. Um, so I do think that play, in, play into it from a... You know, from a crowd perspective, and then yeah, you contrast that with a, a twelve o'clock kickoff um, on a Saturday, where people might be t- tired from the working week. They might have taken the the kids to their own zumba class, their own football, <laughs> their own badminton, zumba. tennis. Do you know? I don't. Yeah, I don't know why, but I do think <laughs> that will influence. Um, yeah, the atmosphere, and then by proxy, the the game. Whereas you think of a Sunday, as well as it being a higher entertainment value of the the teams at hand, I do think that essentially more time for people to go to the pub get on it. have a couple of pints get on it get a bit rowdy get a bit excited chat with their mates because it's the weekend there's more time um and make for a better atmosphere does that does that tally with, with what you think yeah i definitely agree with that it does i mean the if you go if you know you're going to a sunday 4:30 game you're definitely starting at about 12 aren't you and you you're sort of doing the the local pub crawls beforehand before you get to the ground um, mm. So I imagine that the the melting pot within a ground is definitely influenced by that. I wonder as well if I wonder this this is me thinking off the top of my head. If you've got a Sunday four thirty game, does that? I wonder if any other results sort of influence that as well. Because obviously a lot has happened by then on the week same mm. same fixture weekend, hasn't it as well? So maybe you need to know what you're going for or et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. I, I just think it's just billed as like the sort of the weekend highlight, isn't it? The the Sunday 4.30 mm. game. So therefore maybe there's a, I don't know, a sense of occasion. But also that could come with people losing their head and, you know, not not sticking to the plan, all those sort of bits and bobs. Like the atmosphere definitely gets to some people, doesn't it? Yeah. No, you're right. Well, you, you say that in terms of keeping your head. There's also within this this article, there's a really cool graphic looking at, um, again, the taxonomy of red cards per game and penalties per game. So you say about people losing their head, mm. it, the most penalties per game, I think it's 0.38 penalties per game in the Sunday 4.30 kickoff, wow. which is also more than any other kickoff time. Wednesday, so, Wednesday uh, 8 o'clock again, very, very low on this. People just sensible on a Wednesday. Yeah, probably a bit tired themselves. Yeah. And I do think that plays into the, the players as well. You know, was it Wayne Rooney or something said that he doesn't want to have to have pasta at, you know, nine o'clock in the morning yeah. to prepare for a, a midday kickoff. So there might be an element of fatigue from, from the players themselves as well. But I thought that was interesting. But then completely flipping on its head, Saturday 12.30 has the most red cards per game. Really? In the Premier League. Is that because people are... Yeah, maybe not quite up to speed and they're making a, a late challenge or a handball or being a little bit clumsy so as much as just being overly aggressive. This is all just, you know, theoretical. But there's, yeah, I just think it's so interesting to try and find patterns in all these different kickoffs. And it shows just how much a season can be dictated by these kickoffs. I've said it before about season state and the fact that you can have just by the fact that Crystal Palace, uh, I think recently they had Arsenal, Manchester City and Liverpool. Yeah. And shortly after they fired Patrick Vieira for some a poor run of form. And you think, well, that's because of the fixture schedule yeah, yeah. that makes them look really bad. And that's on things completely out of their control. And it's just interesting to see that for all that we're trying to find patterns, it can be just the variance, it can be chaos, it can be things out of the control of the club 
that actually influence their outcome in the long term. It's um, so interesting, isn't it? Be because that's, you know, like you say, we're, we're always trying to look for patterns and we're always trying to discuss meaning behind things, etc. But at some point, you've got to call a spade a spade. And the fact that Vieira played those teams in a row is just really hard work for them. And yeah. obviously, they were just going to get beaten because they're Crystal Palace unless they're playing on a Monday because they enjoy that but you know what I mean like I just think that it's yeah you're, you're right you can kind of look into it however much can't you but at the end of the day if you're playing a team that's better than you and you're playing five of them in a row that's not going to go well results is it yeah and we spoke about it before in terms of what the higher powers that be the, the patterns that they should look for long term patterns and if it is still the case that Crystal Palace are on a downward trajectory okay fine but the fact that such big multi-million pound decisions mm. are made on these short-term outcomes and these small sample sizes is um, kind of ludicrous. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Ryan, we have spoken about the best kickoff times or the most entertaining kickoff times at the, the league level. But, of course, we know that this is going to differ from club to club, from team to team. Um, and as luck would have it, I got my hands on the, the numbers or I suppose the kickoff times for each Premier League club of what their preferred kickoff times are. And I got it from The Athletic. Of course you um, did. Who I've heard are a pretty good... Stealing from work is what you've been doing. They seem, they seem to be doing some good stuff. But this is by uh, Andy Jones uh, this month, actually. So it's quite a, a fresh uh, piece. Jones, he's a great guy as well. And it's a really interesting piece. I will link uh, this in the bio as well. Um, and I'm not going to go through every single team, every single club. But it gives the best and the worst... Uh, or the preferred and least preferred kickoff times for each club in terms of their points per game. Um, right. But I just I just think it's really interesting to to see. So, for example, we've got who have we got here? We've got Wolves. Their preferred kickoff time is half seven. Half seven. Whereas, whereas Aston Villa's is lunchtime kickoff. When do you play at half seven? Where, is that Saturday night football? That's normally five thirty, isn't it? Yeah, that might be more of a, a kind of a midweek game. So it's based on, I think, a minimum of five games at that kickoff time. So again, we're talking about differences in sample size and stuff like that. Yeah. But it just shows that that's their their average um, was, was half seven. Sounds like it would be a, a midweek game. Um, whereas Liverpool's, actually, interestingly, from my perspective, Liverpool, that I always thought that Liverpool's lunchtime kickoffs were, they'd always have a draw or... I mean, the other day they played Bournemouth in the the BT lunch yeah. and they lost one 0 It just feels like Liverpool are always just a little bit drab. But 
per the numbers across a larger sample size, Liverpool's preferred kickoff time is 12 p.m. Really? So I just think that's interesting. Arsenal's bread and butter 4:42. Arsenal's favorite time 3 p.m. Oh, right down right the on the nose. Right down the middle. Right, right down the middle. I just think it's yeah. It it shows uh, you know read the piece, but it shows that it's it's very much um, dependent on the the team and the club when they're best kickoff time is I'm also looking at this and I'm enjoying the fact that Fulham enjoy a 2pm or a 7.45pm they're, they're, they're not precious but either one of those they're happy with same with Leicester it says they they enjoy a, a 1.30pm or a 2.15pm as their best so very much lunchtime birds Leicester City um, yeah, yeah, they they really want to get away for dinner. But yeah, this is um, this is really interesting. Why is Manchester United's two o five p.m.? I don't know. I do think this is probably a consequence of the sample size. Um, get Jonesy the on the phone. Get Andy Jones on the phone and ask him <laughs> why are Man United? Why do they like two o five p.m.? What happens at two o five? It's weird. No, but it can be subtle differences. But it's you know it's all a bit of fun, really. There's nothing. And Tottenham love two o five as well. How funny! I know. There's, there's no perfect science to it. It is just a bit of fun, but it really very much kind of feeds into what we're speaking about today. And it's interesting as well that there's only two teams who prefer a 3 p.m., considering it yeah. is the most popular kickoff time, but there's only two across the current Premier League teams who prefer a 3 p.m. kickoff. And that got me thinking, Ryan, do you know why um, in the English league that 3 p.m. is the most popular time? Well, I don't know this, and I'm looking forward to hearing why. I also didn't know until you told me a few weeks ago that you can watch a 3 p.m. kickoff. You can stream it places. It's just not broadcast on TV, but like people have links and stuff. Because I always wonder how people are watching the games at 3 p.m. So it's taken me 30, yeah. 30 years to work out that people are doing that. I just thought they were... Well, do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, in the UK, it's the um, the blackout time, isn't it, at 3 p.m.? Mm. It's to encourage um, people to go but and abroad, watch, you can watch local it. teams. You can watch it, um, yeah, very easily abroad. How interesting. Uh, I wouldn't, we don't, inc- officially speaking, Ryan, we don't encourage streaming. Oh, sorry, yeah, you work for the Athletic, you can't say that. Yeah. Um, no one encourages that, but sometimes you need to watch the game, you need to watch the game. Um, how, by whatever means, you may need to quickly fly to uh, Fuerteventura, just so you can <laughs> legally watch it, or you might just quickly stream it, but we just don't so advocate catch Arsenal, the, the Arsenal at their best. Exactly, but... Um, back to the more legitimate question of why it is that you uh, that in in England kickoffs um, are most popular at 3 p.m. Now I think this is really interesting. So the reason that it is is because of what's known as the Factory Act, um, and this was introduced in 1850, so a little bit before our time. But it was uh, a law that was introduced to improve workers' rights. Um, so there was basically this law that was passed to stop companies from keeping employees any later than 2 p.m on a Saturday, which then would give them more recreational time, etc., etc., and therefore playing at 3 p.m. was considered a suitable time to give these workers a chance to leave work, obviously, and make their way over to the game. So to maximise, obviously, the attendances. Um, and because there weren't as many means of transport back then, people would often you know, go to support their, their local team, often within walking distance, go straight from work, um, maybe get a little bevy on the way, um, a few refreshments, and then go straight to the game from 3 p.m. Um, and then it kind of just stuck from, from there, really. So it's something that was essentially a law um, that to maximise the attendances on a Saturday afternoon that's no now way. part and parcel of the way that we consume football. I mean, that's great. Where was that in the Hard Cold Facts episode a couple of weeks ago? You should have brought that one along or it's a good saved fact. that up your sleeve because that was, that was really good. 
Um, it's a good fact. It's good pub ammo, that, isn't it? Really good pub ammo. I mean, I'm full of pub ammo, mate. While we're here, <laughs> one thing I found during this same research was that um, Swindon Town were the first football league club to install floodlights. How on earth did you find that fact? Well, it's basically within the same sort of article, it said that the reason it was 3pm as well was because it would still, even in the winter, you'd still be able to get enough light to then be able to play the the whole game in oh. the light because you do it before it got dark because there wasn't floodlights back in 1850 i don't believe um and the reason i don't believe that is because it wasn't until 1951 that swindon town were the first to install floodlights and i believe that arsenal were shortly after uh, in terms of bringing that so it's actually that's that's bringing it far closer to yeah the modern day i'm gonna do a u-turn here i was about to i was about to take the mick out you've quite a boring fact about swindon town but that's actually quite interesting well, I'm full of <laughs> debatable, interesting facts, whether yeah. you believe so or not. You, you're great at leaving the audience not knowing whether they're interested, if they're bored. Like, what, like, what is that? But now I've got something to Cater repeat to people. If, if anyone ever asks me, you know, which is the first uh, football club in the UK to get floodlights, oh, pff, I'm glad you Swindon asked. Town. Swindon Town. Boom. Um, Boom. I wonder if they've ever replaced their floodlights or if they're the same floodlights they had in uh, 1951. I mean, I'm not full of all the answers, Ryan. Can I give you some <laughs> Any facts? Swindon Town fans who listen to the Football Fanalytics podcast, let us know the floodlight situation and get in touch, uh, get in touch at Fanalytics Pod. Um, maybe Swindon Town, uh, the, the staff or the manager or whoever's listening to this, let us know the floodlight situation. We'd like to know, please. There we go. That's very interesting. I'm looking forward to um, what other facts you've got up your sleeve. I'm guessing that's not the end. Well, I've got something that's slightly a slight tangent, but not necessarily to do with kickoff times. But it made me think about it. Part of this research, as I take my research seriously before all of these episodes, Ryan, is I was like, okay, so what's maybe the most lucrative kickoff time? And in terms of goals, we we spoken about that already. Sunday afternoon. Then I was thinking, what's the most common time to score a goal? And I think we already covered that. I think in a previous episode, didn't we? Yes. Don't ask me what it was because I can't remember. Well, the listeners can go back to the episode if they so wish. So I did a little bit on that, tried to to think of anything, if there was anything fun there. And I thought, no, we've already covered it. We've covered so much ground mm. that I've forgotten what we've already done. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm pretty sure we haven't done um, is look at what was the record scoreline for a game. I'm just thinking about goals. I'm thinking about when there's Ever. been these different things. Yeah. What is the 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 record scoreline for a game? Uh, I guess in yeah in the history of football. Uh, oh, as in like I'm guessing that you know five asides don't count. We're talking proper football because a couple of weeks ago, before I played the eleven aside and my legs were on fire, uh, I was playing in a team and we were twenty seven two up, which uh, to which there was a very big debate, which maybe is for another time about do you then change the teams up or do you sort of mix it up and there was a few strops and it was quite interesting so but that's for another time um but i'm guessing that doesn't count in the biggest score ever so you talking full-on yes, legit let's call it professional a competitive leagues. yeah competitive game yeah i mean I'll, I'll give you a clue it's more than 27 wow okay um i'm gonna say 39 nil it is not 39 nil. Do you know what? It's not even close. And that's not a, no reflection what? on your guess. It's an absolutely ludicrous number that is the record. Um, the record, I'll give you the headline first, then I'll go into a bit of background. The record is 149 nil. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> when, who, what? Tell me in everything. Two, 
On October the 1st, 2002, in Madagascar. <laughs> so, yeah, so I looked into the, the background on it, and there's some difficult names to pronounce, actually, but you're going to have to stick with me. So, basically, there's a team called S.O. Lemurne, let's call them. But I think the S.O.E., I think that is their abbreviation. So, they'd basically won the previous season's title, but they're out of the title race in this final round, um, where it was a bit of a head-to-head of this 2002 season. So... It was after they conceded a late penalty, um, which they believed to be a bit of a contentious one. Yeah. So they decided to protest against what they believed to be biased refereeing. So essentially what they did as part of that protest against uh, A.S. Adema um, was score 149 own goals. I was, I was wondering this. So hang on. So they, so they got the kickoff, booted it towards their own goal, went in and then they'd start kickoff again because they've just conceded and then they did it again 149 times or whatever yeah that's a good point so the other team wouldn't have even the other team wouldn't have even touched the ball yeah so so in that that way this this is an interesting case study for possession stats so basically they would have had 100% possession and Mm. conceded 149 goals which shows as we've spoken about before that possession (laughs) doesn't mean everything and then so they would have had an the other team would have had an XG of zero, but they'd have scored 149 goals. That's true. They wouldn't have generated any expected <laughs> goals themselves. Very interesting. Good point. It shows oh, stats go out the window there. But this is very extreme case. Was it one show. person scoring all the same goals? Like, did, did they just did the striker basically hoof it back to the keeper and the keeper taps it in? So has the keeper scored about 130 odd own goals or something? I haven't got the goal scorers, I'll be honest, um, at a player-by-player level, but I do know it's the Guinness Guinness Book of World Records um, record itself, 149. The final result is the highest-scoring game of all time, and of course, it also holds the record for the most own goals scored in a domestic You'd hope game. so, yeah. Um, so it's absolutely ludicrous. There were massive repercussions where yeah. um, I think the manager was banned. I think there were some players that were banned um, for a certain period of time, but for you to, quite rightly even go quite high and thinking 39 nil 149 nil um i just thought as part of my research i had to say that i mean that recycling rate is absolutely mega like so that's what like that's that's at least at least one goal uh, every 30 seconds i can't even do that maths that's yeah they must just that's nearly yeah, nearly a goal every 30 it? seconds so the whistle must have the stoppage time must have been i have no idea mark that's that's got my head spinning slightly but um good fact though yeah thank you yeah i'm full of it told you as i say um just only here for for information ryan no fun to be had as always straight in with the hard cold facts i am consistent if nothing else but yeah i wonder what kickoff time they would have that game would have been because that would have been uh <laughs> quite interesting like to, see to me yeah that, that does sound like a 4 30 with the crowd riled doesn't it i guess also the thing we didn't mention before is uh do you think that the kickoff time and the day has a bearing on which pundits they select? And also, do you think that has any bearing on the performance of the team? So, who was it? I can't remember. Was there? Um, oh, was it? Was it Peter Crouch podcast or some? Someone said I can't remember where it was that if they knew that, say, Roy Keane's in the studio, they're like they're going or. I'm a bit nervous today because they're going to absolutely rip me apart. I wonder if that has any bearing on a player's thoughts. 
Oh, you mean actually on the pitch to know that yeah, the pundit is I, I heard in the that stadium. Somewhere. That's where, interesting. Where did I hear that? I was a bit like, I'll tell you what it was. I did um, for work and a different show, completely different thing. We, we had Laura Woods on as an interview mm. and I swear she said that basically when, you interv- when she'd interviewed a player before, they'd basically gone, who's in the studio? Is it is it Roy? So So they're a bit like, aware of who's watching and if they're going to get slated like Andy Robertson yesterday in the Liverpool bringing it back to the Liverpool game with the elbowing Mm. incident and stuff and Roy Keane does that I mean there's always a viral clip on Sunday Sunday Mm. Super Sunday football isn't there but you know the whole baby clip and whatever that Mm. Roy Keane was banging on about Andy Robertson is so interesting isn't it but also I wonder if that does have any bearing on people's performances that's interesting yeah I thought you meant towards the whole spectacle as the the viewer well that as well I mean I, I mean I personally get I get very excited when there's some when if there's a lineup of you know Keane Carragher Neville Micah whoever it is I, I get quite excited I'm not such a fan of Sooness I'm not gonna lie to you I find him interesting no I'm not a fan I find him too much these days um you know I'm, I'm more of a Sky Sports enjoyer than a than a BT even though I think some of BT's names are quite good i I just don't enjoy their pundits as much. Do do you have a preference? I, I'd probably go along with what you said. I think for me, which is unsurprising, it's whoever kind of offers the most insight because there's mm. quite a few pundits across all facets of football who do have a bit of a straight bat with their answers, which completely makes sense. But they they end up saying quite a lot without saying anything at the same time. Um, and that's quite frustrating to watch when mm. you're sort of watching a pundit. Whereas someone who offers insight that you think oh, i never actually thought about that or yeah. oh that's really something to come back to or i'll make a note of that those sorts of things like a i mean carragher and neville are the best in the business on that in my opinion yeah um i think anyone who does that is yeah pretty high up in, it's quite in interesting when you get a um when you get a new pundit sort of breakthrough like did you watch um i can't remember a game it was the chelsea game liverpool chelsea and daniel sturridge was a pundit wasn't mm. he i thought he was quite good actually and I never thought yeah, I'd. Um, I really didn't think I'd think that about Daniel Sturridge, but he. I actually thought he brought a great energy to it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think that there's also not too many. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm lying. I suppose Peter Crouch is one of them. There's not too many strikers as pundits. No. You think of Neville and Carragher and Sunis and Jermaine Keane. Defoe's done a few. Yeah. Um, yeah. To have the insight from Sturridge as a as a striker, where they, I think they said about he needs. He said about uh, Kai Havertz needing to be a little bit colder in front of goal and be a bit more considered. I, I thought that was really good insight, where you, you're doing it from a position of yeah. this is how I've done it in the past, which Carragher and Neville can't necessarily offer that same insight from the the position that they played. But um, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. But that is really interesting of how kickoff times could influence the pundits, which could influence the players. There's so many, again, there's so many different factors because how drunk the the supporters are could then also influence the atmosphere, could then also influence the players, and they yeah. could also get things over boiling point. It could also influence how many red cards there are, never mind how many goals there are. So 100%. Um, it's just another sort of thought experiment, isn't it? Which is what we like to do on the Football Fanalytics podcast. Constantly so, experimenting with thoughts. That's what we always like doing. So, uh, yeah, for, for all the listeners as well, let us know your thoughts, whether that is just from a vibes perspective, from the data. Um, we always want to hear from you. And, of course, you can do that by getting in contact with us at Fanalytics Pod on Twitter and Instagram, uh, fanalytics.pod at gmail.com. If you want to email us, um, thank you for all the, the messages that people are already sending in. And people have been asking us, Ryan, to 
to record more when the next when's the next episode coming out is what we have heard a lot and people have been very patient with us to know that we may be not going to be every every other day every, every other day every week but um when you know what i mean we're not going to be so prolific um but yeah when it does come into your podcast feed we're very appreciative for for all the listeners for for pressing play so um thank you to to you guys as ever for listening ryan thank you as ever for your time and enjoy the rest of your week everybody we will see you next time Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.